In a world where a man loves movies and loves lists and keeps a list of his 100 favorite movies for over 30 years, what if he made his wife watch those movies in order? And what if he made her talk about it on a podcast? Would she like them? Would she hate them? Can this marriage possibly survive this podcast? Find out what will happen in a world called Craig's List. Carl, I'm sorry to burst in on your office like this, but uh, why can't we get any guests for Craig's List? Craig, nobody wants to work with you. What? No one. No, you're... Your list has offended so many people. Nobody in this town will do your people? podcast. Why? 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 There's a long list of reasons your list no longer works. There's so many guests that would be perfect for the podcast. No, we, we need you've to get offended them on. all of them. How have I offended them? Uh, the, uh, women don't like your movies. <laughs> Men uh, think that some of them are okay, but they're still wondering why you have blue velvet on your list. <laughs> There, there's a lot of things going on. I'm an artist. I'm an artist and a list maker. And yeah, I've got high standards. Is list making an art? Yeah, I don't abs- know. Absolutely, it's an art. Look, Carla, you're you're my agent. You need to get some good guests for this podcast. I'm your agent. <laughs> <laughs> you're fired. Is that what an agent does? <laughs> sure. Yeah, they they hire and fire you. Uh, hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 36 of Craigslist. I think from now on you should just do the intros by yourself. What? <laughs> why? Why do you say that? <laughs> I felt roped into that intro at the last minute there. <laughs> All I wanted is for you to be, you know, Sydney Pollock. For you to be Sydney Pollock. I mean, it, it's something I constantly ask of you in our marriage is to be <laughs> more like Sydney Pollock, and it feels like you're never up for that. I just can't. I can't do it. He's got a penis. <laughs> well, not anymore. He's dead. How He's long has dead. he been dead? His penis died along with him. In Are you sure? <laughs> well. Do you want to debate whether they've preserved Sidney no, Pollock's penis so after his death? How do Somebody we... out there who knew Sidney Pollock very well is listening to this <laughs> and is crying. <laughs> and then they're looking at the jar with his penis that they have on oh, their desk. Oh my God, what's happening? <laughs> this is what happens when we tape too late in the day. We need to do it right out of the gate. We need to wake up and tape. Well, uh, I mean, many, many theories on that. Is it better to wake up and tape? Or is it better to let the day sink in a little bit? Let's then... ask our guest. We do have a guest today, folks. And that was just a bit up top. We are able to get top quality guests for this podcast. <laughs> Everyone wants to work with me. Everyone wants to be on Craigslist. It's true. I was just playing a part, saying <laughs> lies. Uh, today is number 65 on Craigslist. This is episode 36. And we are lucky to have a guest. He is a writer and a podcaster himself, uh, a podcasting about writing specifically. So I'd be interested in hearing what he thinks about the uh, the screenplay of the movie we're about to cover today. The movie is Tootsie, and the guest is Mr. Ben Blacker. Thank you. Both. <laughs> it is great to be here on a podcast hosted by two women. <laughs> you know that's i would never work with craig so carla i'm glad you found a new co-host yeah whatever yeah. it takes to get them in the door 
<laughs> Who are the two women then? Carla and probably a made up name. Yeah. <laughs> Paula. <laughs> Carla and Paula. That would be my pick. Now, uh, Ben, you uh, have been listening to this podcast from the beginning, and you you frequently weigh in with uh, <laughs> with compliments. You've you've written some very nice stuff to us via text. So thank you so much for listening to Craigslist. I, let me ask you something. Yes, uh, and I ask this to of anyone who has a podcast because I really only listen to podcasts that my friends do. Yes, when I text, even if it's weeks after you have released the episode, it means I'm listening to the episode. Is that annoying? Not at all. No. I love it. Believe. I just like when people know that I exist. <laughs> so any text about anything. I will take any compliment. It doesn't matter way after the fact. Yes. We, <laughs> Great. So please continue to do so. <laughs> Absolutely. Please text in two months about this episode that you're on. Wait. Never now, mind. how do you feel about texts? I'm always glad to get them. Aw. Yeah. I, I'm, I like, like you guys. I'm glad that anyone's listening. Yeah. Listen, you wonder, only have an hour. I don't want to take up I wonder who's annoyed too much by time it. on podcast Because you know etiquette. there's a person out there who's an Ira Glass is like, stop <laughs> texting me. <laughs> uh, well, thank you uh, again for, <laughs> for being a Craig's listener. And we've wanted to have you on for a while. And you were very specific about what movie oh, yeah. you would or would not go on to the podcast for. Uh, and it, it felt like you circled Tootsie early on as the movie that you wanted to cover. Well, I wanted to, in looking at your list, and I, I was privy to your list uh, early on, I wanted to find something that I would actually have something to say mm. instead of just reacting to something, either a movie that I haven't seen or something that I'd seen a million times. Like, I, I'm sure I could, there are others I could have talked about. Like, we had talked about To Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah. I taught the book many times. And I have things to say about the movie, but Tootsie is a movie I love and have never really gotten to discuss because it's, I think it's not widely discussed anymore. Everybody's seen Tootsie and yeah. everybody knows Tootsie, but I mean, I guess it's in the canon, yeah. but it's not analyzed. No, that and I think much. it should be. It's kind of taken for granted. Yeah. Yeah. I was glad that I watched it again. It had been a long time. This so was, you had seen it before? Yeah, a lot, uh, several times. This was probably my fourth or fifth time seeing it. And I really liked it when I saw it when I was younger. Even when I was a kid and I saw it, I liked it a lot. But? Ooh. Oh, we'll get to it. I had some thoughts this we'll time to, around. Carla's got some thoughts. Ben's got some. Ben brought an entire notebook. <laughs> he did. Two pages. Uh, and two a tablet. Ben's I'm, wife, Julie, texted me over the weekend and said, <laughs> Ben keeps running out of the room to make notes on it in his notebook. Is this for your podcast? <laughs> in the middle I, of the movie? Yeah. I watched not only the movie, but two documentaries about the movie. Whoa. Wow. Which I have had the Criterion... Uh, blu-ray for a while but i never got around to watching the stuff so it was a good excuse to do that and there's a great documentary from 2007 on there we have i wonder if that same because i think we have the 25th anniversary edition which is. is not a criterion edition so we have i think the same bonus features yeah. but knowing that criterion is now put out a tootsie of like <laughs> if you didn't think it was in the canon like that's uh that's yeah. an uh, official sign off from the premiere dvd <laughs> label mm -hmm. uh do you, when was the first time you saw Tootsie? I saw Tootsie, I think, in my twenties, in my early twenties. Oh wow! I, yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't really on my radar. I was a little young for it when it came out. Yeah, it came and, out and in eighty-two. Yeah, so I was only I was like five, six. Okay, and I was not really aware of it at the time, and so it wasn't until I remember distinctly going to visit my older cousin in San Francisco, 
And she and her then husband were obsessed with it, and they were quoting the lines from it. And I was like, I don't, I don't know what this is. You want me to walk? <laughs> well, I remember it was a big one. <laughs> um, but so many of them. I was like, oh, I have to watch this. And I think we watched it there. And it was just so, it's just so funny all the way through, which is something that's so hard in a comedy film. Yes. You know, and I remember responding to that immediately. Like, the jokes are so sharp. And that's the thing to, I feel like you take in the first time around. Yeah. And I think even today, I mean, it's nostalgic because it's a very 80s movie. Like, it could only have been made in 1982, and it's very quintessentially 80s, but the comedy in it is very universal, I think, and holds up not just nostalgically, but it holds up as comedy uh, in 2017. Well, do do you agree in watching it now? Yeah, there are definitely some really funny moments. I don't know if I think Dustin Hoffman's that funny. (laughs) as an actor no i don't think i don't think he is (laughs) and i don't i don't my yeah watching it again well i was telling craig before we watched it as it started i was like you know what i remember this thing that bugs me about this movie and i'm just remembering it right now and i remember being a kid and watching this movie and being like i don't believe that he's a woman and then re-watching it i felt the same way (laughs) (laughs) meaning i didn't some of it's hard for me to follow because the, all of these people around him believe that he's a woman for mm-hmm. a, a, lo- a large portion of the plot. Sure. And he just looks like a man in drag to me. And his southern accent is so bizarre. Uh-huh. <laughs> it really is. It's really bizarre. <laughs> now, having said that, I think it's a really charming movie and I really like all the supporting players in it. And I think Dustin Hoffman's a good actor. Well, th- this is like, you're, I think you're talking about two different things. I mean, I think Dustin Hoffman is a great, or he was a great actor when he cared about acting, mm-hmm. right? Which kind of turned a corner around Rain Man. But um, he's not a funny actor by any means. And mm-hmm. I think that's why the movie works. But he can be funny mm-hmm. in the right role with the mm-hmm. right script and used in the right way. I mean, he's hilarious in The Graduate. Yeah. But I, I think he's... his persona as an actor is the guy who just keeps poking and poking and will not give up and he's kind of insufferable (laughs) and i think that's why he's so funny in the the graduate for these like the scenes with mrs robinson where he won't stop asking her about her past and the way he pursues elaine you know after she uh has kind of put the kibosh on that you know and i think in this in watching it now as an adult uh, the you know <clears throat> over the years the past 10 years or so um i credit sydney pollock a lot more with the success of this movie mm-hmm. I and mean, i think left to his own devices dustin hoffman would have been much broader mm-hmm. and uh and 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 i have some uh proof to back this up okay based, based upon the documentaries <laughs> but like i think his performance is sort of broad but i think he's also playing a very real character and i think that's why the comedy works across the board is all the characters are so real and played totally straight they're not played for laughs at all yeah and I think it, it's partially a, a parody of method acting mm-hmm. or of just kind of that mm-hmm. in, insufferable, you know, he's an acting teacher, uh, but he's, he's very difficult to work with. Uh, the, there's a whole, the, the credits open with a whole montage of him teaching and, and preaching, 
uh, in acting class about commitment to the character. And he's basically an improv teacher. He's running improv scenes mm-hmm. in his class, alternating with him. Meisner scenes. Meisner, sure. which is improvisation. <laughs> but I wonder if Hoffman knows that it's a parody of these That's movies. what I'm wondering. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's why he's the perfect guy for it. Cause yeah. I think he is that guy. I don't know to what extent he knew it was making fun of that type yeah. of guy. But yeah. doesn't the, like uh the moments where you're supposed to really like with Jessica Lang where she's really supposed to love this woman as a friend it just takes me out of it when he starts to talk because he sounds not like a real person <laughs> to me really i don't know i buy I it i buy it i do it. too really because yeah. i mean and maybe it's in part because you know any movie with a concept Mm-hmm. has one big buy and you're either going to buy it or you're not right you know right, like it, right, it right. just comes down to how you're going to approach the movie and to me at a certain point michael and dorothy are different characters mm-hmm. like i i paused it halfway through and i came back and it was on a dorothy scene and i couldn't for some reason my brain wouldn't switch to thinking that that was michael at the same time mm-hmm. like she's she just is her own character and that's why the climax at the end works so well because there's Michael storylines and Dorothy storylines that start to intersect uh, just masterfully at yeah. the end. And that the whole scene with Sidney Pollock of him uh, telling him all the things that happened to him <laughs> that night and Sidney Pollock trying to catch up with what's going on mm-hmm. is so funny and it's yeah. such a great payoff. But it's because of all the confusion of him having to alternate between these two characters. The convergence yeah. of the storylines in the last third is incredible like it's in- incredibly scripted uh well in, in case you're not familiar with the movie i guess maybe i should briefly describe the, the <laughs> plot for you but it, it's about a uh, a struggling actor in new york city uh named michael dorsey played by dustin hoffman uh and uh he lives in an apartment with uh his roommate jeff who was a playwright played by a young actor who I don't know if we've seen a lot of him since then, but his name is Bill Murray. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he's got a, a friend, Sandy, played by Terry Gar, who's kind of part of his, uh, same acting troupe. And, uh, she auditions for a soap opera for they're looking for a tough lady role, which she does not get. And Dustin Hoffman, who's not able to get any work as an actor, decides to go in drag as Dorothy Michaels. He gets the part. And becomes America's sweetheart. <laughs> uh, and so he works on this soap opera so with uh, a uh, sexist uh, director played by Dabney Coleman and uh, falls in love with the leading lady on the soap played by Jessica Lang. <laughs> and complications ensue. Uh, I did see this movie when it was released in theaters in 1982. Uh, I would have been 13 years old at the time. And this is probably one of the earliest movies on Craigslist that I saw during its first run in the theaters when it came out. I would, I would imagine, uh, it's not one of the earliest movies I saw in the theater because there's like Disney cartoons that I saw in re-releases and stuff like that. But I imagine it's probably one of the first five, six, seven movies on the list that I saw at the time. So as a 13 year old boy, I bought that, uh, Michael Dorsey was Dorothy Michaels. <laughs> and I guess I've, I've kept swallowing that grain of salt ever since. Maybe the Weird. standard for somebody watching it now is going to, going to be me, a little different. I have one more point about that that occurred to me in watching the movie. And like, it, it's, I think it speaks to that. And it also speaks to some of the, more outlandish storylines in the movie because they they are sort of crazy stories right like 
Jessica Lange's father falling for Dorothy is a really kind of broad story. Or it could mm-hmm. be. Yeah. But I feel like the fact that it's the setting, sort of the through line is this soap opera where there's a meta thing going on where we're allowed to have these sort of bigger than life storylines <laughs> happening concurrent to the mm-hmm. soap opera storylines, which are also made fun of in a very big way. No matter what's going on in Michael and Dorothy's <laughs> yeah. life, it can't be as ridiculous as the soap yeah. opera plot lines, which are kind of, that's a good point, you know, so you kind of contrast it mm. with, with and that. And it's a smart, th- like, I feel like we saw that in Soap Dish, which, which is I sort love. of like, which is a great movie and yeah. it's sort of like a, a spiritual successor to this. Yeah. Uh, I think one of the closer, more than say Mrs. Doubtfire, which was just sort of, Aren't men in drag funny? Right. Like, I very seldom is this movie played as aren't men in drag funny, which is something we can get into. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, I just, all that I know is that when I watch Dustin Hoffman with that wig on, it just feels like a man in drag to me, which is fine. Like, that's a funny movie, you know? Uh, but a lot of the movie hinges on these, like, real, even with the father when he falls, like, they have these, like, poignant scenes these tender scenes and the second that dustin hoffman starts to talk i'm just like whoa sounds like a weird like middle-aged man talking with a high southern voice like i just can't connect to it having said that it's still funny like i enjoy it yeah but i just yeah i just think he's given a lot of credit for becoming like especially after watching the documentary which we did watch some of that uh he he very much (laughs) prides himself on his ability to transform into a lady and uh i just don't think he does and i think (laughs) this is one of those movies where after watching the bonus features and the behind the scenes stuff you liked the movie less knowing knowing what the actor and the filmmakers were thinking so insane when he was talking about playing this part like he really takes himself way too seriously yes. because this I think- has always been the thing with Dustin Hoffman Ugh. right like from the time he was in the graduate from his breakthrough role is he's have, like you were saying like he's, he's heavily method he's, and he expects the same of everyone else and, <laughs> like he sounds like he's awful to work with yeah he's yeah. so irritating and then listening to Sidney Pollack I was equally irritated and then I thought oh I don't know really why, and why did it well okay, and I, it was fun when they talked about Elaine May Mm-hmm. And how she came in and really made the script work for them. But then they didn't have any interviews with her, which I thought was strange. And she's not credited on the screenplay. Yeah. Which I was she's a surprise. Uncredited, by. but it sounds like she was a huge yeah. part of what made Tootsie Tootsie yeah. and yeah. made it so memorable. Yeah, I'm wondering uh, as a writer and as a uh, the host of the Nerdist Writers Podcast, uh, what uh, what do you know about the various people who are credited <laughs> for the screenplay for this because even reading up on it and watching the bonus features, you can't really get a straight story of who is credited for what. And I think there's four credited writers, but then supposedly Barry Levinson and Elaine yeah. May also did passes on it as well. Uh, Larry Gelbart, one of the credited writers, a, a legendary funny writer who created a lot of great stuff. Mm-hmm. Mash uh, included. Mash and uh funny thing happened in the way of the mm-hmm. forum, City of Angels, one of my favorite musicals. Uh Oh God, a movie which I think is very underrated like and was movie, uh, was yeah. an important movie for me uh growing up. Uh he actually was was pissed off uh like right before his death, I guess he gave an interview where he thought that Dustin Hoffman and Murray Schiskel were taking too much credit for Amazing. Tootsie. And when you watch the 
Murray Shiskel is a uh, playwright and an old friend of Dustin Hoffman's yeah. who's also credited on the screenplay. And Dustin kind of talked about how he and Murray developed it together. Yet there are two other credited writers who I guess wrote a script that was similar in the late 70s, which Dustin Hoffman's production company bought. Uh, oh, and so the, those guys' names are still on it now. Don McGuire, I think, is is one of them. You know, uh, But Elaine May apparently punched up particularly the Terry Gar and Jessica Lange characters. She created the she, Terry Gar she character. She created the really Terry Gar character specifically for Terry Gar. She and crea- she sort of sounds like Elaine May. She does great. a lot. Yeah. yeah. She created the Jeff character. Oh, yeah. She, he didn't have a roommate before mm-hmm. that. And she was the one who brought the converging storylines mm-hmm. together. So – Damn. As far as I'm concerned, uh, Elaine May should have got an Oscar for the uh, for yeah. the screenplay. It really feels like she's an author of this screenplay, and I know it's always like a WGA arbitration thing, and they only like to credit so many yeah. writers on a specific movie. Um, but it's surprising that she's not. Maybe I mean I think they said in the documentary she only did three weeks on it. Yeah. But even so, that three weeks is a lot of what the movie is. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And Carla and I just went to see an Elaine May double feature mm-hmm. at the New Beverly Cinema here in Los Angeles, which is a great repertory theater owned by QT, our old friend <laughs> Quentin Tarantino. And they, uh, if you don't live in LA, they only show double features and they're all usually, usually, and they're all old movies and they're all shown on film. So we saw an old print of A New Leaf, which is a Elaine May, uh, film that she wrote, directed, and starred in in 1971 with Walter Matthau. I had seen it before and liked it, but seeing it with a full sold-out crowd laughing the whole way, I was amazed by what a funny picture that is and how well it held up. Mm -hmm. And you loved it. I loved it. I loved it. And she only ever... It's criminal how few credits she has as writer, director, and actor. And then the other movie was Ishtar, which is one of the most notorious box office bombs of all time and is kind of unfairly uh, underrated because it's pretty funny. Mm-hmm. And it was funny. Hey, Dustin Hoffman's funny in that, right? Yeah. Or is he only funny because he's annoying? <laughs> I thought Warren Beatty was really funny in that, which yeah, really kind of blew playing my mind. really dumb in it. Yeah. I did not expect that. Uh, but I was reading about Ishtar, and I guess that Dustin Hoffman signed on as like a thank you to her for helping with Tootsie. Oh. That was like one of the reasons that he ended up doing that. Yeah. Which I thought was interesting. Why? I don't know the story of Ishtar, and I don't – maybe this is for your Ishtar podcast, but sure. I Number, number 42 on the list. <laughs> no, it's not on the list. Um, why didn't people respond to it? I mean, I think – we were talking about this the other night, but like over the years, it's had sort of a critical reevaluation and people saying it's actually a pretty funny movie. And like, yeah, I just not, saw it with a crowd. And, it's not amazing, yeah. but it's, it's funny and it, it's nowhere near deserved to be uh, synonymous with Turkey. You yeah. know? Uh, and particularly the first half is really funny as we see these guys who are struggling songwriters in New York mm-hmm. City. Once they get into Morocco, the plot gets really convoluted and hard to, uh, hard to follow. Uh, but it, it, you know, it's pretty good. And I think seeing it right after a new leaf was interesting because you kind of see that she's just kind of going for something kind of wacky, you know, and when you see it, uh, juxtaposed with a new leaf, which is grounded in a way, but is pretty broad too. Yeah. 
uh, you you get a sense of what her style and sense of humor is. But I, I think it already – it's one of those movies that already had negative publicity before it was ever released. Well, that was I, – because I, I was reading about this and I read a, an interview with Elaine May. And apparently because it they went so over budget, mm-hmm. uh, that was a big problem and obviously. And then the studio head switched mm-hmm. and the new guy coming in had it out for – Warren Beatty for some reason. And so he started releasing all these things to the press about, uh, how, you know, toxic the, the set was and like really painted a bad picture. But the first week that it opened, it was number one at the box office. Yeah. And then faded quickly. It faded quickly. Uh, but she said that there were just a lot of stories leaked by the studio head to like, which seems, I don't know, counterintuitive to me if you want to be <laughs> yeah, making money. It's still your product. But, don't you want to make yeah. some money off of it? Uh, but that's what she was saying. Interesting. Yeah. But that's the last movie that she was uh, allowed to direct, one of only four movies. Or maybe it's the last one she wanted to direct. We don't that, know. Sure. <laughs> that's right. Maybe she was Make like, it a double feature, that. Craig's listeners. <laughs> if you missed it at the New Beverly, which you already have, <laughs> rent those movies at your local <clears throat> blockbuster. You know what I really love about Tootsie? What's that? Is the song. <laughs> I Let me say this. It's a great song. I thought the music was going to feel so dated, and it does, but not in a terrible way. Like In, in the context of watching that film, movie. it perfectly yeah. fits that movie. I really loved the song. So you're talking about It Might Be You by Stephen Bishop? Yep. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, the songwriters are Alan and Marilyn Bergman, who are a husband and wife songwriting team who wrote a lot of like soft ballad hits mm-hmm. in the 70s and 80s. So they wrote the, uh, the songs for that. And Stephen Bishop was a, uh, kind of a yacht rock, yacht rock, <laughs> uh, singer songwriter at the time. He had a big hit with On and On in 1977. You know that song? I don't know. On and on. On and on. On and on. on on. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's the song. Yeah. It sounded good to me, but I don't know how it (laughs) sounds. That sounded really good. (laughs) I didn't know you could sing. Nope. (laughs) And it might be you... it, I think it's rare now to hear like a song like played in its entirety like two times in a movie. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So like there's the whole sequence where Dorothy is on, uh, Charles Durning's farm <laughs> and yeah. he's like falling in love with her and it's kind of a montage and the entire song kind of plays <laughs> out there while he's kind of eyeing Jessica Lang <laughs> as Dorothy because he's falling it's in love with, love with her. It is. It is. And it's then cute. they bring it back at the yeah. end of the movie it's as really well. Cute. And and the Tootsie song, like the songs are yeah. so good. Go, I miss go that. Tootsie go. So funny. Yeah. I miss those like the playing of the entirety of the song in a movie. Yeah. Does anyone really call cool. Dorothy Tootsie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dabney Coleman does. I heard him say Toots. Yeah, he calls her Toots Nobody and Tootsie at different oh. parts. Yeah. Uh, I missed the Tootsie that, part. There's then. something so, and this is just which I kind of liked. I was like, oh, that's cute. That she, he never actually says Tootsie. <laughs> He may have. I think he does. But there's something, and this is just an example of why I love the comedy in this movie, which holds up to repeat viewings. After that scene where Dabney Coleman calls Dorothy toots and, and Dorothy just balls him out and is like, I have a name, sir. And does that, she goes to cross off of screen and walking by one of the actors from the soap opera goes, excuse me, doctor. <laughs> Which is so funny to me. Like there's little things like that that just play as funny and you don't see them to like so much of the Bill Murray stuff, especially in oh, the opening. So good. But 
like there's a scene and this was in the documentary too where michael is working on the wig in his bedroom and he's talking about sandy and Bill Murray is sitting there listening to him and he's eating lemon slices <laughs> and he's just making this face every time he eats one. <laughs> it's so yeah. weird and funny. That's great. Yeah, I, I love Bill Murray in this. He's so funny. Of course. Of course. But he like really stands out as legitimately yeah. comedically brilliant. He was only 32 wow. when they shot this. Is that crazy? He was a kid. Yeah. I'm older than 32. <laughs> uh, Terry Gar also, like, hilarious. She's a standout. She's as hilarious well. in this. Was She's this really the beginning, and, and you may know this, but was this the beginning of, like, a good run of movies for her? Well, she had already done Oh God and Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was kind of... Uh, in she both- was in Close Encounters? Yeah, she's Richard Dreyfuss' yeah, wife. I didn't remember in that the movie. Either. No, I think that that's... No, Melinda Dillon is who you're thinking of, who he hooks up with later after leaving his house oh, in clo- Close Encounters. Right. But Terry Gar's role in, uh, in Oh God and Close Encounters is very similar because she's like the disbelieving wife whose husband is slowly going crazy. Sure. Richard Dreyfus because he's seeing uh, UFOs. Uh, John Denver because he's seeing God right. in Oh God. The, her scene in the party at the beginning of Tootsie where she's locked in the bathroom. So she shifts so quickly funny. in that and is so funny when she's like, didn't anybody hear me? And then to, you guys are really having fun. And then I guess I have to remember this if I'm ever trapped somewhere. Like it's a great series of lines. She kills me in those. Yeah. And then Mr. Mom, I think was the next year. That's what I was thinking. Which was another big one for, yeah. uh, for her. She's great yeah. in that. But then she just kind of disappeared for uh, for years. Like Hollywood didn't know, which is crazy because she's so good. What to do with her? Yeah, she's fantastic. Uh, yeah, ten Oscar nominations for Tootsie. One wow. only one Best Supporting Actress for Jessica Lange, who beat out Terry Gar, also nominated. That's interesting for it. I wonder why. Well, I think. Uh, I mean, if you're just objectively looking who gave the better performance, it's probably Terry Gar, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. but Jessica Lang was also nominated that year for best actress Francis. for Francis. So yeah. it's happened a lot of times when a actor has been nominated twice, they get, they win in the supporting category yeah. as kind of like a consolation prize. And then she was, she had been in the Dino De Laurentiis King Kong in 1976 oh, and was yeah. kind of like widely panned for that. <laughs> and so she was kind of like a joke of this, uh, pretty girl who nobody thought could act so i think uh jessica lang was kind of having that moment of being taken seriously by by critics and she's very good as well just not at the level of terry i'm curious to hear what you think of both jessica lang and her character in this Mm -hmm. movie because to me she like she does everything she's supposed to do in this movie which is she's in you know a decent number of scenes but by no means as many as some of the other characters but she just lights up the screen and clearly is someone that Michael would fall in love with and that Dorothy would fall in love mm-hmm. with. Um, and I think she's sort of a complicated character. Like mm-hmm. she feels very contemporary to me in that she's not perfect by any means. She has a lot of problems and she has a lot of flaws. She's also this great, she has self-awareness about them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But how, how did you feel about her character? Um, I mean, it's a nice... I, I guess the point is to help ground the, the Dorothy character uh, so it doesn't feel so crazy the whole time. But she just feels like she's in a different movie to me hmm. when 
You guys are so mad. No. <laughs> In the scenes with Dustin Hoff with Dorothy, it feels like Jessica Lang is playing uh like a, a like a like a serious dramatic scene. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it feels like she's not in a comedy. Right, I exactly. And I, and I'm not saying that I dis, I don't know that I dislike that necessarily. Yeah. Like it still works. Uh, and she probably makes you fall in love with Dorothy in a way mm. that you wouldn't otherwise. But she's also just, uh, Terry Gar to me is more interesting, that character. Not that it has to be f- female versus female. It doesn't have to be like that. I can like no, both but of them. Ter- it feels like Terry Gar's allowed to be funny. Yeah. But Jessica Lang isn't. Right. Which is, which is interesting. I mean, and, I like, think she's, she's allowed to be basically an but... abused. Yeah. Woman. <laughs> yeah, Dabney <laughs> Coleman's her boyfriend, but he sleeps around on her. And yeah, and there's some. Isn't very she has a she, she has a baby from her previous relationship, who which we, was bad, yeah. right? And so, well, she says, right? I go and find the guy who's the worst for me. Yeah, and that's when I I stick with him. And then, so, but if that's true. Then your whole, oh, I'm sorry to dissect a comedy in such a serious way, you guys. This is why we uh, have movies and this podcast. <laughs> uh, but if that's true, then you have to, then the last scene in the movie, sh- she gives in to Dustin Hoffman, yeah. essentially, to Michael and forgives him, basically. And then you, all you're really left to think is she's choosing the wrong guy again. <laughs> because he's been lying to her the right. whole time. He's certainly a damaged guy right. as much as any of these other guys. That and she's so been it's hard to like feel uplifted. But is the when I it's guess over. the question then is do you feel that Michael learned his lesson? Like certainly if she had met Michael at the beginning of the movie, that's sure. a bad guy, right? right? We see we get to see that and it's done so deftly in every scene that we see. Like he hits on three women at the party. I right? think there's a scene that's missing and it is with Terry Gar where he apologizes to her in a sincere way mm-hmm. for the way that he treated her. And that to me would be the scene that would make me think like, Oh, he's not just That's interesting. reacting based on his obsession with Jessica Lang. Like he really has changed as right. a person. I don't know that there's enough information at the end to convince me. That's and neat. I don't know. To me, the scene with Charles Durning kind of does that. Although right. it still is sort of about her. And I did think that, but yeah, but he's there because right. So kind of ultimately, he even he even says it like how how's she doing? Mm -hmm. Like he's there for the daughter, yeah, to make amends to the dad so he can get with the daughter exactly. (laughs) And then there's that whole awkward, but it feels honest. Like it doesn't. It may (laughs) be a little undermined. Dustin Hoffman is a good actor, right? So in that scene, you definitely feel for both of those characters. Uh, but that's interesting. A scene with Terry Gar absolutely would have done. It would have spoken much more to his real bi- rehabilitation. And because we're because he's told us the whole film that that's his best friend, right? Yeah. Like that he cares about her as a friend. Yeah. So I don't know. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I wonder if that exists and was cut out. Maybe. I don't know. The last time we see Terry Gar, she's reacting to seeing him right. reveal himself. Yeah. On, on the, the soap the opera, and she's screaming at the TV like she hates him. <laughs> so good. <laughs> and it's so Those funny. Those cutaways but it's, as, during that monologue yeah. are amazing. But when you think of her character trajectory, mm-hmm. it's not very satisfying. She does still go do Return to the Love Canal in yes. Syracuse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's true. Well, both Sidney Pollack and Dustin Hoffman thought they were making a movie about a man who was redeemed by being a woman. Mm-hmm. Which is hilarious to me. <laughs> Which that, I think, and again, this is getting back to like giving Sidney Pollack so much credit and making this a sort of a deeper comedy than a lot of comedies at yeah. the time. 
was, and this was in the documentary, is he talks about, like, I didn't want to do Some Like It Hot, which is a hilarious movie, but it's not very deep. Um, I wanted to make a movie about something, so I had to have these conversations. What is this movie about? Yeah. And then that famous interview with Dustin Hoffman, he's like, that was never, oh that God. was never a comedy for me. <laughs> it's never a comedy for me. Uh, <laughs> well, there's this, uh, he's wrong about that. <laughs> this, this clip that's been going around social media for a couple of years, and it's from that interview, oh, from God. that document, when he starts to cry about what it felt like to be a woman and to be looked at and for people to only care about how beautiful you were. And how we put women through that all the time. And he just starts crying. And I I know I'm supposed to be like, thanks, Dustin. <laughs> but I really just feel so grossed out by that whole It makes clip. me think of that Simpsons episode from, I want to say, like 2006 or something with um, John Waters where a gay guy saves Homer's life. And so now he likes gay people. Yeah. <laughs> it's like if only every... A uh, misogynist man could dress like a woman, right? <laughs> and, and be a woman for felt. six months, yeah, and exactly. then understand like that's insane. It's, it's just have empathy. It's insane. It, it's exactly. a pretty, pretty shallow insight, and then the fact that yeah. he's so moved by oh, himself God. that he's yes. crying. He starts crying. <laughs> it's fantastic. Uh, I the, never understood oh until God. then, and he's just crying, and you're like, oh, you're the worst. <laughs> But it's surprising, too, because the movie, I think, is very empathetic. Like, none of its characters are cartoons. They don't they don't excuse anyone's behavior, but they don't let anyone off the hook. You know, they don't they don't let anybody be just one thing. Mm -hmm. You know, even Dabney Coleman gets these sort of moments of like, oh, I can see what Jessica Lange would see in him. Mm -hmm. There is something there that's appealing. This is no. doing a period where Damney Coleman was America's asshole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this feels like the apex of that. Yeah. Uh, those roles. Nine to five on the list? Nine, not oh, on my list, but I love oh. nine to five. It's a good movie. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, he's fantastic in nine to five. And then on Golden Pond, uh, where he plays Jane Fonda's asshole boyfriend as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, th- there was a time in the early eighties where America's like, that's the asshole. <laughs> who's, Deb- that, who's that now? Debney Coleman. We were just talking. Oh, Tracy Letts. Yeah, Tracy. Oh, you're right. <laughs> Tracy Letts is we now. We were just is watching now, him in something. Is the modern Debney Coleman. And I was yeah. like, he's that guy now. Because he's always, the, he's the boss. He's the senator. You know, he's the lawyer. <laughs> Who you did know? I originally say he was? It wasn't Debney Coleman. It was good. A brain fart. And then <laughs> we, we ripped on it for a bit and then we landed on Dabney Coleman. Yeah, you said he was guh brain fart. And I'm like, who, who is that? He also had a good run fart. in the 80s. Guh brain fart. I know you want to get uh, to Carlos quotes, but and I want to hear them. Um, but I do want to ask you guys this question and maybe you, you can answer it after the quote so you have time to listen. Yeah. Um, or time to think about it. But I was thinking about if this movie were made today, mm-hmm. who who could get away with playing that Michael Dorothy part. Like, you know, com- I feel like comedy has changed so much that right. it would be so cartoon. Like, if it's Will Ferrell, it becomes a cartoon. Yeah. Absolutely. You know? I don't think this movie could get made today. When I was watching this, I, I really thought that. I, I think it's just, uh, it's, it's still, it is too broad. And then there's these, those scenes where like they're just dancing around, like, are you gay? To, mm-hmm. to Dustin Hoffman's <laughs> character that are really not politically correct anymore and See, awkward. That, I thought, again, I thought that would stick out to me more as being sort of cringy, but it's, 
it's so not what the movie's about, right? That it doesn't bother me. There's a little, there's a little bit of it, though. gay fear, a little yeah, gay panic little in gay, it, gay stuff. but they don't dwell on it and they stuff, don't make a meal of it either. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I appreciated that. I just wonder if they could get away with it. But having said that, I was thinking earlier, like, who do I, who, who would I believe as a woman? And then, not that this guy is funny because he's not, but the guy. The guy from the Harry Potter movie that we just watched played a very convincing woman. Oh, in the Danish girl? Yeah. Yeah. Who's that? What's his name? He's not John a comedian. Goodman? You know, the guy who played Stephen Hawking, Eddie Redmayne. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But when he played a woman, like 100%, I believe that that was... In the Danish girl, yeah. In the Danish girl. He's just got the cheekbones. <laughs> I feel like cheekbone the, acting. Uh, I mean, maybe the modern, best modern analog for Dustin Hoffman is Matt Damon. In that, you know, a short, ver- <laughs> short, versatile actor, you know, mm-hmm. uh, wow. like I think he would uh, commit enough to yeah. be believable and he in gets it. comedy. Probably yeah. Right yeah. Even Huffman doesn't. I mean, Matt, Matt Damon can be very funny in the I right so role. I think so, too. Yeah. That's interesting. That is interesting. Like that. Um, but yeah, I think you, you can't cast a comedian in yeah. the role. It would tip off the balance of mm-hmm. everything. I mean. It becomes Mrs. Doubtfire. Yeah. I mean, Terry Garr and Bill Murray are the most like people you would associate with comedy yeah. in this movie, but they're also very grounded actors. I mean, yeah. Bill Murray, um, I, one of his best lines, right. Is just, is thank you. Right. Oh <laughs> when, uh, when George Gaines, uh, is yes. in, in the apartment, uh, <laughs> best known as punky Brewster's dad and yeah. Commandant Lassard from police Academy. <laughs> yep. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, he's oh sexually assaulting, practically Dorothy in their apartment yeah. and Bill Murray interrupts them and uh and George Gaines is like I just want you to know Jeff that nothing <laughs> nothing went on in here and Bill Murray's just like thank you <laughs> the, the total like, earnestness with yeah. which he says it but we know what he's thinking is no, so good nobody has better comic timing yeah. than him and we talked about this in the Rushmore episode too it's of insane. just like yeah. how much he can do with a look yeah. with a pause with so little there is the scene again in at the party when he's talking that mostly that improvised scene right where he talks about table, I wish I only yeah. had a theater that was open in the rain yeah but in the third <laughs> part of that he's I can't remember what he's saying but he goes to swat a fly <laughs> And it's just this little movement that is so funny and so, again, so strange, but it like punctuates the joke in a way. He's just so masterful. Yeah. Yeah. I saw your play. What happened? (laughs) What happened? (laughs) (laughs) So good. Yeah. But I I just, I don't, I mean, I, I love comedy and I love comedic actors and I think there's a lot of good ones out there, but you know, it'd be really hard to find. What about like Thomas Middleditch? Sure. I'd believe him as a woman, I think. <laughs> He's kind of, uh, dainty. Craig's <laughs> listeners, right in. Right I don't in. know him at all, so I feel like I can say that. Yeah. Um, okay. So Eddie Redmayne, Thomas Middleditch, and Matt Damon. <laughs> Like, let's get that out there that they're all up for well, the... Well, I was trying to think of, like, a comedic actor. Yeah. But I heard those three are remaking Tu Wong Fu. So I don't, <laughs> I don't think we can get number 17 on the list, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. Uh, <laughs> spoilers. Spoilers. Oh, crazy. But I, th- please do not reboot Tootsie. No. There's, there's no reason to do it. Well, it is, no. as you were saying at the beginning, it's so about the sexual politics of the time. And a lot of it resonates still, for sure. 
but it's it's there's so much done in that movie which mm-hmm. would not ring true now. I think so. Yeah. Well, let's go chronologically through the movie a little bit uh, through a feature that we like to call Carla's Quotes. She's feeling her oats and Craig's taking notes. Whatever they are, it's Carla's Quotes. And the first Carla's Quote uh, for this movie, <laughs> technically this took place a couple minutes before we hit play on the movie, but it was so good that I couldn't pass it up. Great. Uh, Carla just hanging out on the couch with our dog, Benny. Benny, your paws work on my iPhone. You are a human boy. <laughs> I've never tried that before. And then, and then I took his paw and I put it on my iPhone and I was able to check my email through his paw. Now, were you able to unlock your screen? Yes. <laughs> the whole hit the, his paw pad. Is that what they're called? Yeah, his paw pad. pad. His pads? Sure. Pads uh, work like fingertips. Oh, yeah. One of ours was on the couch and stepped on... Oh really? The iPad once and like, like did that got me off of whatever I was looking at and then knocked over the coffee. It was the worst. <laughs> we sold both dogs. The uh, I bought both of them. By the way, <laughs> good job. Thank you. The opening credits again setting up this montage establishing Michael as this struggling actor. So it it starts by like panning across like his makeup table of like all the stuff oh, that yeah. he has. And Carla was just uh, yelling out all the things that were on the screen. <laughs> Teeth. Bobby pins, foundation. There's no way that foundation matches his skin tone. <laughs> was this for blind viewers you were doing? Yes. I was doing it for Benny. Uh, no, it was like African American, uh, would be more appropriate for like an African American. He's an actor who plays a lot of different roles. There might have been a scene where he was in blackface that was oh. cut. Would you be surprised? <laughs> yeah. Um, where's that scene where he's talking about what that was like and crying (laughs) we need to put that out there Uh, I never understood that black people were discriminated against (laughs) can I tell you something that's that's true and real yes (laughs) and uh, that scene that opening when they're doing that it's so brilliant because it sets up that he can do anything with makeup and they never have to explain it Mm -hmm. after that there's so much in that opening that is yeah. Such brilliant setup that's subtle like that. That's like the stuff about him not being easy to work with, the stuff about how he can't get a yes. job. So much about his character yeah. and the world we're in mm-hmm. that's done in five minutes. Yeah, it's that. it's it's amazing because yeah. once you see all the things on his makeup table, when mm-hmm. he when he just shows up in makeup later and you never see him do it, you just buy it right away. Because yeah. you're like, oh yeah, that guy has a whole room full of makeup. <laughs> yeah. We're looking we're looking for somebody taller. Uh, so good. Yeah. We're looking for somebody shorter. Like, I can be shorter. These are lifts. You know? Yeah. We're looking for somebody different. Mm-hmm. I can be different. We're looking for somebody else. Yeah. Uh, that voice, by the way, out there, also Sidney Pollock. Was it? Yes. Really? Yeah. Not as his, uh, agent character, but just yeah. doing, doing the voice of the theater director. I was thinking of you and watching that opening. Listen, this is going to be a three hour episode. I, I was That's thinking fine. about you guys watching that opening and, you know, now I know a lot of actors and was wondering like how how true that all rings to you guys. I felt it rings pretty true. I mean it's 35 years later but right. Yeah, I uh and I, actually this was maybe my this is my favorite part of the movie is the setup <laughs> I think in terms of just connecting with something. Uh it feels very real to me. Relevant, I should mm-hmm. say. 
Uh, well, with that in mind, here's the next Carla's <laughs> quote, uh, cause we see him working with his students in acting class and he's like, keep it specific. And Carla's like, keep it specific. Ugh, acting teachers are the worst. I think I said that last week. <laughs> I do. I do think I said, keep it specific, you guys. Right. Uh. So good. Did you, I think this was in the documentary about the making of those scenes where. I didn't see it. I didn't watch that far then. Oh, so none of that was in the script. None of that was in the initial cut. Or I guess it was, uh, it wasn't cut together yet, but it wasn't in the script. And, um, I think Hoffman said to Pollock, they had this thing where Hoffman would get to have a few ideas and Pollock would say okay to some of them. Yeah. So Hoffman said, we have to see this guy at work. We have to see what acting means to him. And Pollock was like, what do you want to do? He was like, give me two hours. And he said, all right, you have two hours and a small crew tomorrow morning. That's it before we start shooting at like 7 a.m. So they were shooting in New York and Hoffman called up his old acting teacher and was like, send your students to this building we're going to do an acting class and we're going to shoot it for my new movie. And so it really is him I talking think, about I think that's exactly what it is. Yeah, it's yeah. Dustin Hoffman just teaching an acting class yeah. which, and then they're passing it off as Michael Dorsey right. teaching an acting which class. Which makes me really think about how aware he was about whether or not this was satire. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I'd ever want to take an acting class from Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> Like, I maybe would watch one, but I would never want to be in one. That's as much of one as I want to watch. <laughs> Them doing that mirror game. Uh, uh, and clearly, also, the, whatever these plays are that he's auditioning for are really bad <laughs> plays, so too. Yeah. What about Tolstoy? Yeah. The death of Tolstoy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I enjoy all of that. And... I mean, I know it's an old trope too of, uh, to be a, uh, an actor in New York means that you're a waiter, but I mean, it's still fun where he's like, you gotta find ways to work mm-hmm. and then cut to him waiting tables. <laughs> you know, it was good. Uh, we talked about this during Lenny. Um, but I, I do think that the, the quintessential Dustin Hoffman line is why, <laughs> yeah. why? Uh, and, and you'll notice that he does say it in All every movie that he's yeah. in. And he said it in Ishtar in like the first minute that he was on screen. <laughs> why? Why? It was crazy. Yeah, it's it, so good in the <laughs> opening of this, though, when he's dying as Tolstoy. <laughs> and I need you to walk around. Why? Why? Uh, but uh. Carla said, wow, what a trope. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it tells you a lot about Dustin Hoffman as a guy. That yeah. That's his catchphrase. That's his catchphrase. Yeah. He's not going to leave well enough alone. Yeah. He's going he's gonna to keep poking why? away. I want to do it like you. Why? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Bill Murray uncredited, by the way, in the yeah. opening credits. Uh, and I read that it's because they didn't want the audience to expect that it would be like meatballs or stripes. I, I don't know, but of uh, like, it's, it's strange that he's not in the opening credits. He is in the credits at the end. That's funny. Um, Carla liked the, uh, the lady blowing out the candles while singing happy birthday. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> Michael, like, that's mm-hmm. pretty funny. That's a it's really this, funny bit. This little lady with this gigantic cake and she's singing so loudly she's blowing out Who half the candles. Who was not Zelda Rubenstein, right? No, not, <laughs> not Zelda Rubenstein. Who's Zelda Rubenstein? But From well Poltergeist. Oh, uh, no. I've always thought it was. <laughs> Different Definitely. lady. So this, this viewing of it. Though later the, there is a cameo appearance from Estelle Getty. Oh, That's yeah. right. As yeah. uh, as middle aged lady. <laughs> yes. Weird. <laughs> Pre Golden Girls. Um. 
Yeah, during this, so there's a big uh, surprise party for Michael at Michael and Jeff's apartment. We meet uh, Sandy, uh, and it, it feels like uh, Jeff has invited a lot of these people there that Michael doesn't even know for them for this so big party. Uh, but I think it might have been during that bathroom scene or whatever. Carla said, "Terry Gar makes me sad in this movie." Oh, <laughs> she does. Well, the way he treats her makes me sad. Mm-hmm. She deserves better. She yeah. deserves better. Well, that, uh, that's, that's what I meant to me by is that. Part of what's so great about that character is like mm-hmm. it, I feel like she's a hundred people I know, men and women, <clears> who just you just like you deserve better. You have to have the confidence or the self worth yeah. and just pull it together. And you, I do feel like by the end, by the time she stands up to him mm-hmm. with that whole that great run that she has, where she's like, "I read the second sex. I'm responsible for my own orgasm." <laughs> great bit, but it really is her standing up to him. Yeah. So I, yeah, I feel like she does get some of that redemption. That party scene, by the way, all improvised. I'm sure you saw that. Yeah, uh, I thought that was really neat. Love the prov. Love the prov. Can't get enough <laughs> oh, of it. <laughs> um. There is a bit of acting advice in this that I do think about to this day. You know, when I audition for stuff, when she's going out to audition for Dorothy, Sandy is, and she's like, I have a problem with anger. And he's like, well, you know, there's a hundred actresses who don't have a problem with anger who are going out for this. You know, And I do think of that whenever I have like a big audition because actors like to self-sabotage ourselves of like, well, but, you know, this isn't fair of like I was asked to do this or like I can't do this of like, well, there's going to be a dozen other guys there who can do all the things that we're asked to do. And that they're going to choose from those guys, you know. So it's a way that people protect themselves for failure mm-hmm. is is saying that that I can't do this thing mm-hmm. or whatever. I, I'm not right for this, you know. So that thank you, Michael Dorsey. <laughs> um, did you did you notice the fuck yous in this movie? No. What about him? <laughs> he says fuck you twice in this movie under his breath. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the best is at the audition. <laughs> When she she says, wish me luck. And he goes, yeah. fuck you. Fuck you. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so because he's uh, he says, all right, I'll pick you up at 10 o'clock and enrage you, which I think is, <laughs> yeah. is a great line. Great line. Like, he's trying to keep her angry to uh, to do the audition. But this is very unusual, 1982. This is before PG-13 for there to be a PG movie that contained the word fuck mm, in it. I didn't and, realize it was PG. And it was PG, and that's the only instance of the F word in the movie. But this probably was the first movie I saw in the theater that said fuck ah. in it. And I just remember being shocked at the time. And like, and also because he was whispering it, like, did I hear that correctly? You know? So I was kind of scandalized as a 13 year old. <laughs> and that's still kind of memorable to me. Uh, and I'm not sure what the fuck count is now. And I think it is like, if it's used in a sexual connotation, mm-hmm. it pushes it into R. Mm-hmm. But I think in a PG 13, you can get away with three uses of something it or like something. That, it's, know. it's just, weird how that standard has changed over the years but it used to be automatic r uh but for some reason tootsie did not got it under the uh because he the didn't radar. mean it for real he was just saying <laughs> that's a way to motivate her yeah, there was yeah. no intent yeah it's funny now, Cindy Pollack, the director of this movie, who started out as an actor early in his career but had not acted in 20 years, was persuaded by Dustin Hoffman to play his agent uh, mm-hmm. in this movie. And it's a great dynamic that they have. Yeah. And it did. You know, Those Cindy, are great scenes. They are. They, they really are great are. scenes. Uh, this is a coast too, George. New York is a coast. <laughs> you know? um, and Dabney Coleman was originally cast. Dabney Coleman was going to play the agent. Uh, do you want to? Talk about Dustin Hoffman's reasoning for why he couldn't work with Dabney Coleman as the agent. 
Go ahead. I forget. I didn't really understand this. Because apparently Dabney Coleman is a peer. So oh, like, right. he, it's not going to be enough to get him to want to dress as a woman if he's getting the advice from a peer. But because Sidney Pollack is a director. And keep in mind, they're playing actors. They're not Sidney Pollack <laughs> and no, Dabney Coleman. It wasn't the woman thing. It was uh, when Sidney Pollack's character as the agent says... Uh, nobody will hire you. Right. Mm-hmm. Dustin Hoffman wouldn't believe it if his peers said that to him. But if his, but if oh like God. somebody that he respected and was like yeah. above him in status said that to him, then he would get scared enough to dress like a woman. Right. Which is so many levels of dumb. <laughs> <laughs> like so many levels of just like stop trying so hard. <laughs> Another thing we learned from that scene with the agent is that apparently a uh, a play on Broadway cost twenty bucks at the time. Yeah, because he's like people right? aren't people aren't going to spend twenty bucks to go see <laughs> like twenty bucks really. Yeah, <laughs> like must wow, nice. must be nice. How much is Hamilton? Eight hundred dollars. <laughs> <laughs> And that when he does go to the audition with Sandy and then he finds out that his friend who worked on the show got cast in the Iceman Cometh and he immediately leaves and oh runs to God. his agent, Carla said, and he forgets about her that quickly. Poor Terry Gar in this movie. He does. <laughs> and it's actually kind of an amazing moment because he, again, he shifts so quickly and so telling about his, how selfish his character yeah, is. Yeah, how self-absorbed. It, it, it's, again, something, it's a little moment that I didn't really notice before, but that he, I can't even remember what the line was. I may have even written it down. Blacker has lovely handwriting, by the way. <laughs> really, truly. Not me. It's really nice, Ben. <laughs> Thanks, Ben. I did a lot of writing on boards for, yeah, for, for a, a time, time, you know, uh, as a teacher. So it had to be legible. At the end of that, uh, no one will work with you scene, Carla's like, maybe that's why I don't work as much as I should. I'm a wonderful actor who's too much trouble. <laughs> I don't remember saying that at all. So true. I work constantly. What was I saying? (laughs) And then uh, after he does uh, risk it all by dressing as Dorothy, Carla said, wonder how many actors... It's actually during his audition scene when they're not going to let him read and then he kind of throws a fit in the room and then they're like... uh, why don't you come back and read for us, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. And Carla's like, wonder how many actors ruin their careers doing something like this. <laughs> yeah. Emulating Tootsie. Yeah. Right? yeah. Like, but in Tootsie, Tootsie, why did I say it so tootsie. weird? Tootsie. <laughs> <laughs> that correctly. But in Tootsie, Tootsie, uh, he dark. fights for his role. <laughs> who, the woman, who is the woman who plays, she must be like the producer, the executive producer. She's great. She's yeah. She's so really good. good. Very believable. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if I've ever seen her. I've again. seen her in something else. I, I think she's a character actress. She was around a lot in the, the eighties, but her name is, uh, escaping remember. me. Uh, some of the other people who work for the soap opera, Ellen Foley plays the producer's assistant. She of course was on night court and, uh, perhaps best known as the other voice in paradise by the dashboard light with meatloaf. <laughs> Um, are you talking about when you say best known (laughs) sure and then uh lynn thigpin also uh on the staff in the world is carmen san diego yeah she's chief from carmen san diego yeah (laughs) she was also on all my children for a long time was she Mm -hmm. um oh uh, apparently the woman who plays the producer was a soap uh, actress for a number of years maybe that's why i know her yeah that's funny um 
So they, they, they know the biz. She's great. I'd but, love to see if she's still around. Yeah. Yeah. And put her in something. I know Lynn Thigpen passed away. Oh, did she? Yeah. yeah. She Not long after ago. Carmen San Diego stopped. Yeah. Just took the life right out of her. <laughs> well, Carmen Sandiego is still on the case to figure oh, right. out who killed her. <laughs> Sorry, Lynn's family and friends who are listening to this, along with Sydney. Also, Sydney Pollock's. Dick in a jar. Uh, <laughs> when we do, when Dorothy does audition and get the part, Carla's like, we know it's good because everyone's reaction shot is telling us it's good. Yeah. yeah. That bugs me, I will say. Uh, because it sounds kind of cartoonish when he's doing the speech. To me, it's, it's very broad. But then they uh, they show everybody in the booth's reaction and they're all like, just by their faces, are like amazed. <laughs> and yeah. you're like, oh, I guess that that's the filmmaker letting me know that I'm supposed to think that that was really good. You need a little hand-holding there. Yeah. <laughs> One of my favorite uh, parodies of that is in Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story, where uh, he's in the studio recording uh, and like the first couple of numbers are not impressive. And I think John Michael Higgins is the producer. Maybe he's like, okay, you have 10 seconds with this next song to convince me it's going to be a number one hit. And then like they start playing it for like five seconds and immediately everybody in the studio's faces like change up like, wow. And, and it's such a good parody of that moment, yeah. uh, in a movie where a movie has to tell you of like, this artist is yeah. brilliant. You know, yeah. it's just one of those phony movie things. Yeah. Uh, and I believe in that movie, the song goes to number one while they're still recording it in the studio, <laughs> too. <laughs> uh, there's another great scene where he confronts uh, George, the agent, as Dorothy at the Russian Tea Room. And Carla First said, asking directions to the Russian Tea Room while standing while in front, standing of, so in front of it. Yeah. So good. That's really good. But anyway, sorry. But Carla said, I've never been to a restaurant where they had to move the table to let me sit down. Oh, yeah. That really sticks out to me, too. Does it? Like, I've never been to one either. And not you've been really, to so many fancy ones. Not that, not move the table fancy. Yeah, where is that restaurant at? But I kind of go. love that. Yeah. Does Musso and Franks do that? Like, that's kind of like the LA equivalent of uh, Russian Tea Room, Maybe right? they just do it for guys. <laughs> I've never Let had me that. move the entire table for you, sir. It's yeah. so funny. And uh, so just to explain what we're talking about, Sidney Pollack goes in to get to sit in his booth, and the waiter moves, picks up the table, moves it out for him. He sits <laughs> down, and the oh, moves it back. <laughs> Maybe they understood that, now that I said it out loud. <laughs> Thank God no. clarified that. <laughs> Guys, you don't understand. Let me telegraph every single beat. That for was you. basically you <laughs> nodding at the great acting. <laughs> you really helped that the audience understand. Yeah. <laughs> now Sandy, of course, is kind of a platonic friend of his and also presumably like his acting student. You know, like not cool to hit on your acting. A lot students. of lines being crossed. But they've been friends for seven years. Six, okay, six years. Six years. <laughs> yeah, that's longer uh, than you guys have. <laughs> Good point. But he try while she's showering in her apartment. He tries to try on one of her dresses, and she catches him with his pants down, and he has to sleep with her to cover up. The we've all been there. We've all been that there. Is in that so situation. crazy and Sandy, really funny. I to want me. you. Yeah. <laughs> and then Carla said, "Sandy, I want you. How romantic. <laughs> How romantic." He's so deadpan when he says it. Yeah. It's so funny. It it is really. It's a funny bit. Uh, this movie, the film debut of Gina Davis. Yeah. First movie from Ms. Bow, Davis. Chicka, bow, wow. And you see her in her undies she looks a lot. Great. She does. <laughs> she was a model. Before this, she was a model. She's very funny. She is. In this movie. She's very funny. And they gave yeah. her more and more stuff to do throughout the production. Yeah. 
one scene I don't know if I quite believe that before they roll on uh, taping a soap opera scene, the director would do that much discussion of the <laughs> subtext of a scene <laughs> with you. There's this long scene where Dabney Coleman's explaining all the subtext to uh, Jessica Lang, but that must be setting up something, right? <laughs> And and yet to Dorothy, he just says, "Here's here are your marks." That's yeah. right. I guess that's the joke of it, then, well, right? It yeah. <laughs> um, it's that thing that Dustin Hoffman was talking about, where only beautiful women get talked stop. to. We're gonna oh. cry. We're gonna cry. <laughs> Don't stop, cry. Darling. That was never. It was never a comedy for me. Why? Um, Why? <laughs> uh, so so there's a scene with uh, George Gaines uh, where you know he's supposed to. Uh, <laughs> kiss her uh and you know he's known as the tongue on the show and he's always spraying binaca in his mouth so she's he's supposed to kiss dorothy in this scene and uh she whacks him with a clipboard uh but then after the scene is over he's like i'm really excited that we're going to be working together <laughs> and uh slips her the tongue and carla's like ah, ha, 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 ha. i think that's called sexual assault i'm such a serious person <laughs> And also remember Banaka. <laughs> Banaka, <laughs> not really around. Well, now there there is this breath spray. I mean, not Banaka, but that we use all the time. And I really? always think of George Gaines <laughs> in this movie whenever I spray it. You know, when we went to Australia with Thrilling Adventure Hour, Paget was always spraying her breath with this stuff. Yeah, that's right. And yeah. so. Which I it's like, marijuana, right? It's marijuana. <laughs> which I was like, I got to get some of that. Pot so spray. She, it's her fault. It's yeah. gotten us addicted that's to these really little. Funny. That's what George Gaines would use now. Rest yeah. his soul. That's right. I heard he was buried with a crate of it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right next to Sidney Pollock. Of course. And the lady from Carmen Cindy. <laughs> Lynn. Lynn and, Miranda. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> American women just immediately fall for Dorothy Michaels. Like she is the <laughs> – <laughs> is that believable at all that she becomes the biggest thing in America based on the fact that she's a middle-aged woman who's tough on a soap no. opera? <laughs> she's on the but cover good of for People. them for but trying it, to make a point. Again, I mean, maybe consider the time. Like, look, right now our attention span is so all over the place, but in 1982, we we're much more directed about what the what monoculture. That's true. The monoculture. That's a good indeed. point. Um, so I don't know that how realistic. So it they is, more but... told us what was. Gonna be famous is what you mean? Kind of. Yeah. GH, GH was real big at the time. General Hospital. Was it? Oh yeah. In 82, I mean, that was coming right off of Luke and Laura. You know, Mm -hmm. my sisters watched General Hospital all the freaking time. There was a, a novelty song called General Hospital that was on the uh, the top forty that that sang all of it, and that that's what, how Rick Springfield became a big hit because oh, yeah. he was Doctor Noah Drake that's right. on uh, General Hospital. So yeah, I mean it wasn't accidental uh, that they chose soap operas sure. as the background for this because soaps were real Although, big at the time. I'm sure you saw this in the documentary. Did you see? So Hoffman and the original screenwriter Murray, whatever his name was, Schiskel. Thank you. <laughs> None taken. Um, they developed this for a long time, like over three, four years. And one of the original inspirations was a tennis player. Oh yeah, Renee Richards. Yeah. yeah. And so oh, they yeah. the story was about the world of tennis for yeah. a while, which seems. Not as interesting. And that would have been a lot more offensive. Yes. I think if it was specifically based on this real transsexual, you know, and if it's about, because he's like, uh, you know, and, uh, 
he wasn't ranked as a tennis player, and then he became a woman and got ranked. <laughs> yeah, it, it would have been a different story. I mean, yeah. we we were saying earlier about how like it's in many ways this is divorced from identity politics of the time and more about gender politics, and there is a difference there, and mm-hmm. that would have been about identity politics, and it's a much pricklier area and it's a much more difficult area especially for people who are only as smart as dustin hoffman (laughs) (laughs) and i think because it's a world he knew well of like struggling to get a job and like the pretentiousness of actors and everything like it's do you think he knows actors are pretentious well (laughs) he probably thinks that other actors are pretentious did i ever tell my dustin hoffman story on the podcast please did i tell it when what because we did the other one with paul right maybe you know i don't think you did Okay. You can always tell it again. All right. I apologize if you guys heard this, but I met Dustin Hoffman. Stop apologizing, Carla. I'm You're sorry. A I'm a woman. woman. I'm a woman, and all we do is you apologize read the second for sex. things. <laughs> uh, You're responsible for your own orgasm. No, I'm not. <laughs> uh, can we cut that? You're ruining my that? Dustin Hoffman story by saying <laughs> orgasm. Better. Um, okay, so orgasm. I went to a movie premiere with my Why? friend who was his assistant, Julie Benson, who you know. Big fan. Yeah. Check uh, out Batgirl and the Birds of Prey, you guys. There you go. Uh, and we went to the thing, and then afterwards, she was, like, talking to him, and he was really nice to me. And he was very funny and very charming, mm-hmm. and he acted like I was actually standing in the room, and he, like, made eye contact and talked to me for a while. Sure. And then at the end, he was talking about going bowling, and he invited us bowling, but we didn't go. Why would you not go? Well, it felt like... Next week, we might go bowling, and then it never happened. (laughs) But he invited me in the moment. So anyways, I just want to say, after all of my shit talking about Dustin Hoffman's portrayal of a woman... I thought that he was very nice he in was person. Very nice <laughs> to an ugly woman. Exactly. He was very nice to an ugly woman. Carla, stop it. Julie was hideous. <laughs> Be sure to follow her on Twitter. These, <laughs> these are the kind of wo- women that I would never invite to bowling before them, but now. <laughs> but that's also, when was this? Like 10 years ago? 2003 or four. Or okay, so like over that. 10 years ago. Yeah. This is a different Dustin. Right. Right? Like, He's this is a post through. Rain Man Dustin, which I think is a different guy who cares less about any thing well i think i yeah i think they he stopped getting work for a while is that true yeah i I mean i think so i i think did he ever kind of go away i think people didn't want to really work with him as much after well there was a five-year gap between tootsie and ishtar but i think that was more self-imposed and he did play willie loman on broadway during didn't he kind of disappear in the 90s for a little bit though uh okay i only know at the time from my friend who was his assistant mm -hmm. (laughs) Whose name I already gave away. <laughs> that he had a hard time getting work around that time. Okay. Really? That, that the is The early surprising. 2000s. But he did have a reputation. And he also made Sphere. So. Yes. I liked that movie. Carla, you've just negated every opinion you've, you've ever had on this podcast. I know. That's why I can't go. I can't do this anymore. But in that famous. <laughs> That's why we're making Ben the new co-host of this podcast. It's just going to be you and me. And I'll come back great. when we do Amelie or something. <laughs> 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 I can't go on record because you ask me tomorrow and I'll be like, Tootsie is the best movie from the 80s. That's what I would say tomorrow. Listen, once you get to number one, you're going to revisit all 100 oh for second opinions. Yeah. We'll, we'll go, get to number one. Then we'll go back to number two, three, four. We'll, yeah, we'll do them in that order. Uh, you know, during that famous uh, 
outtake from I Heart Huckabees where David O. Russell and Lily Tomlin are going at it. Dustin Hoffman's trying to be the peacemaker there, oh, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, really? yeah. Have you watched that? It's I've never, so I don't like to watch things like that. It upsets me. I don't care for it either. Such toxic workplaces might I, exist. I don't want to say I enjoyed it, but I definitely enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like to watch people be mean to each other. Well, Lily Tomlin definitely stands up for herself. She does. It's David O. Russell who's rad. acting like a, a baby. And I do crazy love Lily person. Tomlin. Yeah. Um, Carla said of Dorothy Michael slash Michael Dorsey, I bet he and I wear the same size. Yes. <laughs> size six. Thank you very much. I bet. I think he's a little bigger than you are. I think Still a little guy. I bet he's broader in the shoulder. I saw him in just his skivvies. Where? In this movie. <laughs> Oh, at a at bowling one night. <laughs> Wait, you went bowling with yeah, Dustin yeah. Hoffman. Julie Benson I was and I took him bowling. To go bowling with Dustin Hoffman. Come, come bowling with us. We all wear our skivvies. It's fun. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, <sighs> another classic Bill Murray line. I think we're getting into a weird area here. Yep, that was a good one. Uh, <laughs> this movie pre cell phones, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask this. Let me cut right to this. <laughs> Craig, what number is this? Number 60-something? 60 65. Okay. In the past 35 films, have there been any which included cell phones? I don't think there have. Do you think that's a good question? <laughs> I think that's a great question. And <laughs> uh, I think I counted that there's only seven movies from the last – from the 21st century mm-hmm. on the list. Uh, and – We've covered a couple of them. How, which you covered Toy Story three. Toy Story three. Oh, a Squid and the Whale is set oh, yeah. in the '70s, so there wouldn't be cell phones yeah, there. Man on Man on Wire is a documentary. Yeah. Uh, Lord of the Rings does not have any cell phones, so Guys, that we know of. Let me ask you a question. <laughs> what did we do before cell phones? <laughs> what was your Carla? What was your life like before cell phones? I would like write a note and slip it under a locker and be like, "Meet me in the library." Did you not have an actual phone? <laughs> people wouldn't show up come on well because they i would never sign my name so they didn't know who it was my point is there's whole go to library and get murdered (laughs) there's whole things in the movie of him not getting in touch with sandy and keeping her waiting while she's making dinner for him now a simple text would solve all of that true a simple text full of lies it might actually make you like him less that's true if he was like more actively lying to her yeah as it is he's just sort of neglectful he's avoiding her yeah yeah Yeah. so we see him running home changing out of his dorothy outfit and then hustling over to sandy's house that scene where he rushes home and they do the shower and bill murray like turns on the faucet and waves it around oh yeah it's such a great like the whole movie is sort of farce played straight yeah Mm -hmm. and that movie is the most farcical but i love bill murray has this line where he's just stalling for time and he's like sandy is that you sandy oh i just woke up i had this dream i had a dream about you and you had enormous teeth but you were still a nice person <laughs> yes. so funny. that's got to be bill murray improvising it has yeah. To be. So good. yeah it has to be uh well, i'm in the shower i have soap in my eyes <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I love that scene i love the chaos of that mm-hmm. which is so hard to engineer and it's again not again because i haven't said this already but a thing that like we tried to do in Thrilling Adventure Hour sometimes was like have that kind of chaos, often in Sparks Nevada when there are a lot of characters trying to do something, but it's it's just so hard to do and they do it so expertly in this. Yeah, it brings together all of those disparate storylines and all the balls that they're juggling so well and you know, the movie just climaxes so wonderfully. Yeah. 
Yeah. Stop saying climax. <laughs> I say keep saying it. <laughs> uh, Carla also said, I just bought a bunch of high-waisted jeans that look like that, but they look better on her, referring to Jessica Lange. Mm-hmm. But you're wearing those high-waisted jeans r- right, right now. now. I think they look damn good. Oh, climax. <laughs> you're responsible for you your own orgasm. You are responsible for your own orgasm. <laughs> Our listener, you're responsible for your own orgasm. <laughs> if you take nothing else away from Tootsie. Um, at one point, Dabney Coleman says to Dorothy, you don't mind if I call you honey, do you? And Carla said, can I call you dick flop? And I said, dick flop? And you said, I just made it up. Dick flop. <laughs> now, you did, of course, have a mimosa before we watched this yes, movie. Yes, which I'm going to do. It'll be After a thing talking I about do this movie? all the time, <laughs> which I'm going to do in T minus two minutes. What does T two. minus mean? That's kind of a NASA term, right? Oh. For tennis. Uh, tennis minus two minutes. Tennis minus two minutes. <laughs> it means we're going to take off in two minutes. T minus. <laughs> it's, for, it's for lift off. <laughs> and so the the climactic scene of he said it again. <laughs> yeah, I said climactic. He didn't just say it. Oh my God, I apologize. I apologize. <laughs> I Sydney apologize. Uh, they set up early in the movie that sometimes soap operas need to do scenes live, uh, which I don't know if I believe or not. Uh, I would like to – I'm going to forget as soon as we stop rolling to look that up. So listeners, yeah. please uh, tweet at us and tell us if that is an actual Tweet thing. at the Nerdist Writers Podcast. <laughs> tweet at me, at Ben Blacker on Twitter. Now, I'm sure in the early days of TV, the soap operas probably all live all sure. the time. Right? I imagine all that's live, just, all the time. That's just how it was. But uh, they have to yeah. set up the fact that uh, Emily can improvise this big, long speech uh, and that it's just going out to the nation uh, at that point. But uh, they're like, so our soon-to-be ex-editor <laughs> spilled a bottle of cell ray tonic all over the tape. And Carla said, how convenient. <laughs> how convenient. I, love, I said it like Dustin. I do love the specificity of cell ray tonic. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's pretty good. Really funny. Have you had celery? I remember celery. It's a Dr. Brown's yeah. flavor. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Dr. Brown's. I usually go black cherry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm a cream or root beer man myself, but then uh, I have it, which is rarely. Yeah, but a soda that tastes like celery is that? Why is that a thing? Grandparents loved that. <laughs> Did your grandparents have that? My grandmother fucking loves celery tonic. <laughs> I've never had it. It's does it gross. really taste like celery, yeah. or does it taste like Sprite? I don't it think tastes it, like celery. I think it tastes like celery. It's gross. <laughs> Interesting. Are you so, not sponsored by Dr. So, Brown's celery tonic, are you? <laughs> Could we be? <laughs> Send us a case, everyone. Uh, everyone. But that final speech by Dustin Hoffman with all of the disparate characters watching it live is so well done. It's so yes. good. Let me talk about this for a minute. Yes, you should. I'm, I give you T minus 30 seconds. Right. Uh, it is not just expertly scripted. And we talked about this a little bit with like the Elaine May was the one who sort of brought those threads together. And it's like a Tarantino movie where all these disparate stories are finally converging in this explosive moment. But the, and it's incredibly scripted. But the acting, and again, say what you will about Dustin Hoffman, but he really can be a great actor when he wants to be, and I think he has been for most of his career. And what he is doing there is it's Dustin Hoffman playing Michael Dorsey, playing Dorothy Michaels, playing uh, Emily... What's her name? Kimberly. Kimberly. <laughs> uh, who is in this moment improvising 
and he's improvising a scripted scene that both has to be about the text of the soap opera and has to resonate with his life, Michael slash Dorothy's life in the movie. Yeah. He plays it so amazingly well. It, it impresses me every time I see it. I laugh like I've never seen it every time I see it because there are nuances in there. Uh, like when he says the, the child of Richard and Alma Kimberly, <laughs> like the way he says that is so funny. Yeah. Uh, and, and I love the cuts to the booth of them oh reacting God. to it of like, don't, don't, yeah. don't, don't panic. Right. <laughs> These little things. And when, when he's stuttering over a word, just, yeah. just, just, and then goes into it. Um, and I, I was telling you that it's a thing that like I tried to, recreate in Thrilling Adventure Hour a number of times in Moonshine Holler specifically because it is about that kind of deception. I think you were the only one who knew I was trying to do that <laughs> and played it so well every time. But Thrilling Adventure listeners who listen to this podcast, go back and check out some of those Moonshine Hollers. You'll enjoy it. Because it always ends on a big speech by Bando, yeah. Banjo Bindle stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, a couple of great lines after the speech is done where Bill Murray's like, that is one nutty hospital. <laughs> And then George Gaines says, does Jeff know? Does Jeff know? <laughs> Such a good line. Uh, but then Julie, uh, comes up to, uh, Dorothy and you don't know what's going to happen. And Carla's like, uh oh, something bad's going to happen. Hi. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like you thought she was going to give her, uh, uh, Miss Piggy, uh, a karate, karate you, chop. But it's a recasting this with Muppets. <laughs> <laughs> Miss Piggy clearly as, uh, Jessica Lang. Sure. Who no, Miss Piggy would be Dorothy. <laughs> She's a woman. Well, she could be a woman playing Michael playing a woman. <laughs> I like if anyone could do it. It's, it's Miss Piggy. Piggy. <laughs> she has the acting chops. Yeah. Hiya. Rolf as Dabney Coleman. Absolutely. Uh Fozzie is Jeff. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we need to do my play. <laughs> With her Gonzo, um, though. Uh Gonzo. Um, Terry Gar. The was <laughs> Terry Gar. Yeah. Janice is clearly Terry Gar. <laughs> they look the same. <laughs> Janice isn't neurotic, though. Uh, you think she can't act it? <laughs> Imagine Elaine May writing for Janice. Just going off of looks, Ben. Didn't you learn anything from Tootsie? <laughs> but I love this. This movie ramps up, ramps up. You know, it's getting funnier and funnier. All these plot lines are kind of converging. And then I like that it's kind of a quick ending after that. There's just two more scenes, which is the scene with Charles Durning and then the scene with Jessica Lang at the end. And I just think there's so many comedies that are really funny for the first hour or so. But then as they get too hung up on plot or like showing us that the character has changed or whatever, they stop being funny. And uh, this movie really only takes another five minutes to sew everything up, which I like. It's not unlike the rest of the movie that these scenes pack so much into such short little, like so much information into such short little scenes that it makes sense that you'd get this sort of prolonged climax. Like that scene has to be probably less than 10 minutes, but it still feels much longer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then, two shorter scenes to sort of wrap it up. It makes sense. And then uh, one last scene with Jessica Lange. Should Has he earned the girl at this point? Should they get together? What do you think, Carla? Did I say already? I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a very sweet scene. Um, and he's really... Uh, I, I love the moment where she says, I miss 
what's her face? Dorothy. Dor- Dorothy. <laughs> it's a very Dorothy. honest moment. Yeah, it is. It's a very, and the two of them together in that, because they, that's the scene where it's like, oh, these people are in the same movie for me. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Uh, and I, I actually really like that scene a lot. And it doesn't have to be perfect. It can just be fun. Yeah. Sometimes true. movies can just be fun. Sure. And I don't know if they get together as a couple, but yeah. if they have a better understanding of each other and are friends after that, like that's nice. Yeah. Michael does seem humbled to me in that scene. And even though we haven't yeah. seen him go like apologize to Sandy or anything like that, we do see him apologize to Charles Durning, but he does seem, he's not the Michael we see at the beginning of the movie. He seems a little beaten down in a good yeah, way. In, yeah. Absolutely in a good mm-hmm. way, which is why I buy her. It doesn't feel like she fully forgives him. Right. But she's willing to open the door. Mm-hmm. You know. So he truly became a better man by being a woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, Carla, you want to give this movie a letter grade? A plus. <laughs> <laughs> You're full of F-. shit. <laughs> uh, Where do you stand on it today? Let's uh, right now in this moment it could change in any second. T minus any second. <laughs> uh, right now at this second, I'm going to give it a B. A B. Okay, mm-hmm. what does that B stand for? Bitches be crazy. <laughs> and uh ben how about for you does this movie hold up this movie really holds up um i give it an a it is one of maybe three comedies in my top 10 because comedy is hard to rewatch, right yeah like so much of joke is surprise and this movie and uh broadcast news and his girl friday to me are always funny they're funny all the way through uh and more i mean and especially in tootsie and broadcast news they feel very real and very honest. And that's what I look for in a hmm. comedy. I love Rushmore. Uh, and I could watch Rushmore anytime. And I love like, as far as contemporary comedies, they don't feel like they have the same honesty to me, the same naturalness. And I, and I miss that about comedies. Yeah. Um, can I just say that I just realized that we need to see a movie with Terry Garr's character from this movie and Albert Brooks's character from Broadcast News oh, together in a romantic comedy. That's the sequel. Yeah. Okay. If anybody out there has a time machine, this is the number one thing. <laughs> Why can't they do it now? Go back to 1982. Don't go back. Make them now. Terry Garr is like hanging out in a barn in Iowa or something like, where is she? Nobody knows. She's great, man. <laughs> do we know where she is? Is she still acting? I haven't seen her in anything in quite some time. I saw yeah. her in interviews and stuff, but... Yeah, yeah, she's still doing interviews. That would be such a good movie. Starring in interviews. <laughs> Can I recommend a movie for people who maybe enjoyed this movie and sure. other movies that I like? Yeah. Um, this month, uh, The Big Sick comes out, uh, which is Kumail Nanjiani and Emily Gordon's uh, movie about their relationship. I've heard nothing but great things, and there was a great New Yorker profile yeah. on them that really made me want to see this movie. It is terrific. Um, it has that. It it's funny all the way through which is so hard to do. And it's emotional and emotionally honest all the way through. Um, it is sort of like the best of the Apatow sort of movies where it's just about people and the lives they live, but it's not indulgent in any way. Uh, all of the actors, including Kumail are great. And who plays the Emily character? Uh, Zoe Kazan. Okay, cool. Who's terrific. Who I hadn't, wasn't really familiar with, but she's, so good. She's a Kazan. The parents, uh, her parents are played by Ray Romano and Holly Hunter <laughs> and are fantastic. Wow. And there's stuff that, and, and I'm sure this will, has all been out in interviews, but like everybody sort of contributed to the script in the same way that they did in Tootsie where they really had ownership of their characters. And there are scenes that Holly Hunter pitched that are in the movie that are so true 
to her character, but also true to Holly Hunter. And you are so excited that that's what Holly Hunter is like. Mm-hmm. Um, but I cannot recommend it highly enough. That's I really love cool. this movie. Yeah, if you don't know the premise, like it's based on uh, Kumail and his real life wife's Emily's uh, uh, romantic story, mm-hmm. which was that shortly after they started dating, Emily went into a coma. Yeah, right, got sick and went into a coma, and the, he kind of sat by her bedside and <laughs> nursed her, and then proposed yeah. to her when he came out. But they had only really known each other yeah. for six months or, or wow. so. It's really interesting. It's about the culture clashes of you know his family and her family and all this stuff, and it's great. And people should check it out. Um, it's I feel like it's so hard to find comedies now that really have all the stuff that we love from you know the great comedies i'm very excited to see it how about you carla i will see it i'm excited (laughs) okay uh ben anything else you want to promote no follow me on twitter ben blacker is my name okay uh, on the twitter it's the same pretty straightforward black is my name on the twitter it's the same (laughs) (laughs) and we always conclude every episode with an extended rap riffing (laughs) on the name of our guest uh actually we do a little khaki theater uh, so Carla, it sounds like you want to be Terry Gar. Yeah, I'll be Terry Gar. It sounds like I want to be, uh, Dustin Hoffman. And it sounds like, uh, Blacker, you should be, uh, Bill Murray. <laughs> okay. So you could just, yeah. ch- you could just chime in occasionally <laughs> then. Um, Thank you. is there a particular scene you want to do? Michael, you never apologized to me. I came over here. I threw a fit. I revealed my soul. I listed all the books that I've been reading to become a better person, and you've never apologized for what you did to me. Sandy, I'm so sorry. Uh, I'm, uh, but I'm, I'm a better, I'm a better man now because I was a woman for a while. All right, I can't listen to this. If you start crying, I'm going to vomit all over your wall. <laughs> My life was never a comedy to me. <laughs> hey, I'm going to go write the necktie scene without the necktie. Oh, thanks, Jeff. Jeff, I, Jeff, <laughs> Jeff. <laughs> no, he's gone. Are you in the shower? He's gone, Jeff. Did you just jump in the shower with your clothes on? Look, uh, have have this box of chocolates. I'm not eating your chocolates. Uh, uh, no, no, they're good. They're good chocolates. I mean, come on, you Sandy. You sincerely apologize. Uh, didn't I apologize? It didn't feel real. You need to own up to the fact that you slept with me because you were trying to try on a dress. <laughs> you still have that little number, by the way? I'm not giving you another dress, Michael. Why? Michael, we've known each Why? other for six years. Don't say that. It's seven me. years now. Michael, we've known each other for seven From years. From the time we started this podcast. <laughs> what, Jeff? I thought you Jeff? were writing. Sorry. You were in the show. I was working on the scene. I had to come out for a second. You guys still here? All right. I'll be back in my room. See? Oh, Carla couldn't get out of that too soon. <laughs> Carla, that was some good fanfic. Thanks, you guys. She never got her apology for real. No, I guess she never did. But she does hook up with Albert Brooks in a <laughs> sequel to be written by Carla. <laughs> Broad toots. <laughs> Broad toots. Uh, well, Tootsie is an, also an A for me. It is staying on the list about where it is. It's, uh, it's of its time, but also pretty perfect. Um, so uh, thank you so much, Craig's listeners, for tuning in. Thank you for Ben Blacker for guesting with us. Uh, as always, like to thank uh, Ken Plume for his audio help, Jonathan Dinerstein for his theme music, Aria Zizian for doing the Craigslist logo, and Carla, uh, you were saying you enjoy Lily Tomlin? I do. Well, what if she was on- Big ne- business. <laughs> what if next week's movie is big business? Uh, that, so what would the odds? Carla would be so happy, but that's not, not happening. Uh, no, it's a Robert Altman film. 
And the only film I have by Mr. Altman on the list, this is a film from 1975, and it's set uh, against the backdrop of the country music scene, which takes place in... Nashville! The movie is Nashville. Have you seen Nashville? That's me doing Dorothy. (laughs) (laughs) I've never seen Nashville. I would too. Okay. I would like to partake in this event of watching this film, Craig. Great. You're on board? Okay, cool. So we'll do this one sans guest. How about that? All right. Okay, so just you and me watching some Robert Altman, and uh, we're going to talk about it on next week's podcast. Thank you, Craig. (laughs) Climax. And let's climax and drop the mic. The list is an absolute good. The list is life.